You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. <laughs> all right, so just so you all know, um, Chloe made an excellent joke. Would you like to repeat it? You just said it's like the universe knows that we're technologically challenged. challenged. And then I said, the universe is not your daddy, according to Cam. Boom, <laughs> And so, yeah, welcome, Cam. Thank you. <laughs> we're doing a 2.0 chat with you. We spoke to you earlier on. Um, in our show episode three and it happens to be one of our most popular episodes so we're giving everybody what they want round two Um, and I feel like we spoke about what did we talk about we spoke about kind of just that the theme of taking radical responsibility for your Mm -hmm. shit in relationship in Mm -hmm. life and um, kind of taking a you know getting rid of that victim mentality Which is actually what gave birth to the universe is not your daddy thing. Because I just, (laughs) I had this like aha moment, right? Where we like to, like there's like degrees, varying degrees of like consciousness, right? And usually when you come to the realization that like the government has too much overreach and there's so much power that we're giving away to like the big systems in our world, we love to like then, you know, step into the spiritual world at which point we typically just like overcorrect and give all our power away to the universe where we're like, the universe is testing me. The universe is essentially like mommy and daddy, just like instead of pharma and the government, now it's like astrology and the universe, like, you know, (laughs) testing my, you know, worthiness basically. Mm. And we want to be like a good little girl for the universe so that we can get all the things that we deserve. And it's really that same radical self-responsibility where it's not, any, no one's like bestowing you your worth. It's really just you showing you to you. And yeah, in a mm. funny little sentence that I quite like too. The universe not being your daddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like um, <clears throat> I'd love to get into that a little bit more, but um, just mm-hmm. to quickly mm-hmm. update everybody. Last time you were living in Austin when we speak, this time you're living in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, whereabouts? Mm, we're on the North Shore of Oahu. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I've been um, thinking a little bit and it's actually inspired me. Your move and just like this upcoming chat about kind of what is like what it takes to or what's conducive to kind of creating the life that you want to be living versus, you know, the things and the obstacles that ultimately like you're putting in front of yourself. But um, for example, I live up <clears throat> on a hill and it's like a highly sought after location, but it's not conducive to getting up and going to sunrise in the morning with four kids in tow by mm-hmm. foot. It's l- way less inspiring getting up, getting everybody in the car and driving down to the beach. Um, and it just kind of made me think like, what are all the things that we put in front of ourselves? And, um, you know, it stops us from living in integrity. Um and then you're, you've been talking a lot lately about the masks mm-hmm. and I'd love to just kind of get into that because I feel like it relates, mm-hmm. right, um, what we think we should mm-hmm. be doing um, and what we think we should be and who we should be versus who we actually are and what we're mm-hmm. actually doing. Well, yeah, you living on the hill, right, in a sought, uh, like sought area, people want to live there, um, but – and it's too, it's too easy to like navigate your whole life really. And like, even in gratitude mode, it's interesting. Like gratitude is great, but is it coming from within like something that you want or is it actually something that like your environment is saying you should want or your environment is pushing you towards? And yeah, same, same with Austin. Like Austin was a great city. We had a lot of fun, but ultimately there were so many obstacles to actually doing the very simple things that like made us happy in our day-to-day life. And yeah, for, for us too, watching the sunrise is important. Making it useful, like the little the little mundane things of life that should be useful, can be useful. Um, instead of like the biohacker mentality where like you can 
get the little red lights to look into right in the morning and so like we just there's just there's a lot of ease here and yeah it's it's was born out of like really connecting with what we actually want and there's a lot of like difficulties and challenges anywhere right wherever you go there you are moving i mean i can see listening to this like well oh you moved to hawaii to be in integrity that's so difficult like but there's challenges too right like running a business my partner was working with clients in person like doing the transition to working really remotely was had its challenges too but it felt too important to us to not to not do that um and yeah, like you said, making it easeful for the little things. And really it is, it's, it's so mind blowing. I feel, it, it feels incredible to just be able to do all these things. Like we would go for, we would try to earth in Austin and we had a little, like a patch that our landlords probably sprayed with glyphosate. You know, we were like made a little like patch in the rock garden and we would go for like, or you had to choose, do you want to earth or do you want to get a little bit of morning uh, walk and same, there's so many buildings around us. We'd have to like walk three blocks to like get sun in our eyes. Like it just, it was a mission and yeah, the, the move to, to Hawaii has definitely felt very in alignment and yeah, the masks piece definitely plays into it. Um, it also just kind of plays into like, I think it's the driving force. We, you and I, Chloe talked about how much has changed for me, at least in how I'm sharing on social media since I moved here. And I think it, the place has played a big part in that. Like Hawaii is very feminine and, I feel so much more grounded being here, literally being or like earthing so much more throughout the day. Um, but yeah, the concept of masks specifically has been something I'm so excited about in terms of like how many things, how many things, like how many masks basically do I wear? All these like personas, all these ways in which I show up to be perceived a certain way as opposed to like authentically showing up and letting the world react to me, how it's going to react to me and not needing that to disturb like my sense of self, if that makes sense. So Cam, yeah. really quickly, when we go into masks, just like to give everyone a little mm -hmm. bit of um, <clears throat> information. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so when you talk about masks, you're talking about how we, and mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> you're talking about how we will change our behaviors, our, the way we tell a story, um, yeah, and any number of things to be different to per, like to different people that we see to try and validate, to make sure we get that validation from them. Um, yeah, I think it's funny. Like I also haven't like studied this formally, right? M most of what I share, I'm at a state, I'm at a stage now where it's like something that I like work out within myself. So someone else might have a complete other definition or version of this. But to me, the idea of like taking off the masks, a mask being an act and acting isn't bad. Like acting, you know, can be playful. There's a time and place to like really care about like the performance of, you know, like if you're singing a song, for example, right? You like, you actually have to learn the tone and the, the lyrics and, and you have to like perform the specifics of a song. However, like making noise and, and singing without like even lyrics, right? Just like making noise coming from an authentic place, not worrying about how it's going to be perceived, not having to like fit in a mold. It's kind of like the, the difference between those two things. And I'm exploring a lot of conscious parenting, if you will, um, information as a way of kind of understanding myself and how I was raised and reparenting myself in certain ways. And what I've realized about the mask piece is growing up, if we didn't have caregivers that were radically attuned to us and in a way that they were able to not. So like, let's say I'm just I'm a child and I'm dysregulated, right? Having a tantrum, you're both moms. I'm sure you've experienced a tantrum or two. Mm, I haven't. No, me neither. <laughs> what, can you enlighten us? The go to <laughs> is to stop it, right? It's like, I'm, actually as a, a an adult experiencing a child i'm uncomfortable with the dysregulation with the noise as a result of you know when i was a child not actually having parents it's kind of like the trickle down effect right it's like the never ending no one being deeply embodied enough to hold space for the dysregulation of another human being where it's like it doesn't have to be about you it's like oh 
child is having experience, let me hold space for the child and not need to like fix it and or stop it, reward it or punish it, right? It's kind of like the reward punish thing. And so we never really feel safe in our bodies growing up because, you know, we're being told we're having a big emotion, we're overwhelmed or we're sad or we're angry. And we're being told either you're all right, you know, very Australian thing, you're all right. Or, you know, here's, uh, you can watch TV, like there's a distracting. And so we don't actually learn to self-regulate our emotions and be in our body. Mm, can we sit there just yeah. for one sec, mm-hmm. Cam? Because like, I'd, I'd like to point out that this can start from mm-hmm. birth. So I, like, I'm not sure like where our listeners are at, but it does. It can mm-hmm. start from birth, like a baby is crying and babies and this is where the aware parenting piece comes in babies need to cry it's like it's a physiological response to stress and stress doesn't have to be they've been starving for 10 hours like or not fed on time stress is like for a newborn baby it can be new lights new colors new sounds new smells like these all little stresses that build Mm -hmm. up throughout the day and this is generally why we get a witching hour at night exactly then they release that I get that as an adult adults need to cry too I'll notice in myself like I'll Mm -hmm. reach a point where like my partner will see them that literally nothing to me and I'll be like welled up in tears and he's like what did I say something and I'll need to have a big cry and it's it's like the 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 little suppressions throughout the day or the week or the month depending how like able you are to express things regularly without the story, right? Of like, this is wrong. I shouldn't express this or I shouldn't do this, which of course is back to childhood. Like we're told that all the time or we're sent to our room to calm down with no tools on how to calm down, right? Like the parent actually expecting the child to calm down. It's kind of like the role reversal, right? Where it's like, I'll talk to you once we're calm, once you're, once you've calmed down. And so the, we're, we essentially grew up into adults who are always needing the external environment to feel safe so that we can feel safe. And so the masks piece comes in here because we learn to perform basically based on whatever scenario we're in, what we think the other person needs from us so that they are happy or appeased or whatever else, basically trying to micromanage our environment all the time so that we can feel safe instead of, fundamentally being embodied and safe in our experience, learning to ride the arc of emotions, you know, knowing that once in a while you need a big release and that it's not good or bad. It's just part of the human experience. And yeah. And I think it can be so self self-destructing too, because, um, you know, and I'm sure everyone can relate to a past time or a recent time when someone in front of them, like a partner or a child has had the biggest meltdown or needs to release, but you're overanalyzing it and you've decided to pick it to pieces and create a problem out of it. Like if your partner and you are having big, like someone's, you know, releasing and they're suddenly like they need it to be for a reason. And then the reason is like perhaps just made up and you're like, well, that doesn't, that's not even real. And it sounds like an insecurity and suddenly you've self-destructing your relationship. We do that to ourselves too though. Like, Like how many times have you, as a person, just start crying, like, and I do this just all the time at the moment, like, I'll just start crying or I'll be super emotional and I have to be like, oh, it's probably my Mm. period or, you know, it's somewhere in my cycle, it must be hormonal or I've had a really big day and I'm overtired and this is why, when really, like. Oh, yeah, we gaslight ourselves all the time. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's full on. Yeah. Yeah, and instead of just, like, learning to integrate these things and have the capacity to really lean in as opposed to like shy away from the big emotions and be actually comfortable in having that. Like now that I've discovered this work and really I'm working so much on kind of simultaneously being the parent and the child, right? When I notice myself, oh, I must have, you know, not taken care of myself enough or, you know, let it out enough. I've been suppressing a couple of things and I notice myself needing to cry. I will have a huge cry and it doesn't last. I think part of not being in touch with the the crying in a in a healthy way where you know a parent was able to be like just there to make sure we're physically safe when we're expressing if you can actually let it out completely you cry for a minute or two and then probably in my experience i start laughing because it's like 
you just let mm. it out. It, it's like a wave. It rides. It's huge. It peaks. It crashes. And then it's back to like the calm, you know, or it comes in a few sets. There's a few big waves and then everything's fine. And you can actually come back into, you know, you're, you actually don't have to leave your body at all. You stay there. You're anchored. You're okay again. And then you can see clearly the situation in front of you. Usually that's what leads me to laughing is like what made me upset. It has nothing to do with that. I love, um, I spoke to Ashley, the, mm. She's a childhood psychologist and she says the second cookie, you know, when your kid asks for a second cookie and you say no and they have a meltdown, it's not about the second cookie. That same as the witching hour, right? It's like, it's not about, it's like all the built up stuff, which is why like, I love trying to remember arguments or disagreements that I have with my partner. We can, we can never remember what started it because it's so not about that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You come full circle and you're like, no one knows why it started but you've picked each other to pieces because you're desperate to find the reason or the person at fault and then it gets so exhausting and then you're like oh I don't even know what this is about and I'm embarrassed to say how did this happen the key the the key for me in that situation is to notice as soon as I'm defensive as soon as there's defensiveness present it's such a thread to pull on because you know that a wound has been poked at inside of you. And it's really never about the situation at hand, right? It's never about the second cookie or whatever else it is, even the comment that was made. It's about the wound that was poked at. So whenever I get defensive and my partner does the same, it's like, okay, it's like investigation time. What was, what belief was poked at? And very rarely can we tell about like each other's. It's really like such a deeply personal little like, you know, just a gentle poke or maybe like a big shove kind of into depending how subconscious the wound is. But the practice of like being curious about what belief you have when you get defensive is being poked at is fascinating. Highly recommend it. Mm. What is the defensive wound? Like, why do we default to defensive? Because I personally default to defensive. Like, I feel like I have to defend myself if someone is being critical or, you know, judges something in the moment that I'm doing even if I know even if I have the awareness that it's like for example if I'm rushing my kids because it's like we've got to be somewhere and I'm starting to get a little bit overwhelmed about it or I'm like I've asked a hundred times for them to do something and people are like they're still setting up a game and then if Brenton walks in he's like chill out or something I'm like ah and I'm like I'm not I'm doing this like I know I'm the right person I am chill I am well like right there right like the belief that you're not the the belief that you're not chill and like what lives beneath that there's just such it's like the tip of the iceberg like am I not chill Mm. enough to be a fun wife am I not the cool mom like there's so much that lives beneath just the like relax thing I can Mm. give you an example that happened to me recently and one clip basically i was on a podcast recently and the clip has like 260,000 views and the podcast that i was on is brand new there was no there was nothing so really like the clip blew up and of course you know in the world of algorithms we're always trying to figure out why something goes viral and so my partner river and i were just talking about why like po- different possibilities and I thought that there must have been a lot of shares. Like if you share it on your story, then it reaches the audience. And then if someone else shares, it reaches their audience. So that was my theory. And he very, very rationally and correctly said, well, yeah, it could also have gone on the explore page. And I went into defense and it was just, it was subtle. Like it wasn't major. There's no big blow up, but I could feel like it's a sensation, right? It's a felt sensation. I was like, I needed to defend this, Mm. this, possibility that it was people sharing it and he pointed it out right away he's like are you okay like you're not like you're you know you're acting a bit weird or whatever however he said it and I was like yeah I'm completely fine I just like I think and I was really like standing my ground with the fact that it had to most likely be that people shared it on their stories <laughs> anyways people my just work love is what good I said. and worthy <laughs> they love what I said and but they love exactly me. right and so <laughs> And so I, and like, he had no idea what was going on. He was like, what that, like checking what like time of the month it is. He's like, this makes no sense to me. And I was in the kitchen. (laughs) Like it should make any sense any other time anyway. But no, no, no. He's like, I I put those into his mouth. He's actually great about all of that. 
And so, yeah, I was in the kitchen and I went silent for a second and I was like, okay, I'm getting defensive. Let me just go explore. Like what is, what was poked at? And like you just said, my association with people sharing it as a story meant that, you know, they liked the clip and that what I shared was so wise and awesome. And of course, all I want from my partner is for him to think I'm awesome and, you know, lovable and all of those things that I had associated with the possibility of that being why things were shared. And so in my attempt <laughs> to be loved by my partner, I created conflict. And so it was like, it's like paradox, right? It's like, what I want is for him to think I'm lovable and great and I wanna feel connected to him. And what I did by insisting that, you know, my association of it was because people shared it is create distance between us and became rather unlovable. Like I, it, when we're in defense mode, it's not pleasant for anyone. And so I like had a laugh and I looked at him and it's not always as quick, okay? Like sometimes it takes me a day or, and it's never like the, the window for repair is never shut. The door for repair is never shut. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to notice this thing. I, but in this instance, it happened very quickly. And I turned around to him and I was like, I think I know why I got weird. And he was like, oh, did you? And of course, like instantly, right? The repair, the invitation is always there for connection, which is what I wanted in the first place. And I shared with him um, my theory on what was going on in my subconscious, why I got defensive. And of course, it brought instant repair and appreciation and connection, which, yeah, another thing I, I did a little carousel on recently is like people don't want perfection. They want truth. Like we have this idea that we need to show up in you know this perfect way or this curated way that we think people are going to like. But really what actually bridges the gap between people is is truth. And so it brought us close and we had a laugh and moved on. But if we double down when we get defensive and then someone else gets defensive, that's even worse because then it's like two defensiveness. It's like two wounds kind of butting heads. Mm. The quicker though we can go in and say, this isn't about the other person. What am I thinking and believing about myself through this person's actions? Like what am I projecting onto this person? And the quicker we can communicate that, we actually end up getting what we want, which, you know, most of the time is connection, love. Isn't it funny how we do that? Like women are always like, so catty and they're like, create all the conflict. But all they mm -hmm. really want is for their partner to just like hug them, mm -hmm. validate them, mm -hmm. little reassurance doesn't go astray, blah, blah, blah. But instead we push them so mm -hmm. far away and that we become so unlovable, mm -hmm. like you said. Yeah, I reckon that's the piece of like being vulnerable. So because to do mm -hmm. that, Cam, to go back to your partner and be like, okay, this is what's mm -hmm. going on for me. Like that's a pretty big deal mm -hmm. like like all I want is to think that I'm doing yeah. really well which kind of sounds egotistical like, it sounds egotistical I got you go egotistical, egotistical. <laughs> <laughs> I need to practice my wording um yeah but in in reality that's literally what everyone wants like mm. everyone would be thinking the same in the same situation but it requires that like insane amount of vulnerability yeah, it's a it's totally a it's totally a practice and it helps if you have that awareness when you're entering a relationship. Like I he and I I don't even know, I might have told you guys this story last time. I I've said it a couple times, but something happened when we first met. Basically where I did this and I apologized. Did I tell you guys about the Bluetooth headphones? Mm. No, no, the Bluetooth headphones. Sounds serious. Let's know about it. I'll, I'll tell you the, sh like the uh, it's the abridged abridged version is the short version, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, basically, he and I met online on through Instagram, and we were FaceTiming, and he had Bluetooth headphones, and he put in Bluetooth he headphones in so that he could cook dinner and continue speaking to me because we were in like the stage of having like five hour long phone conversations. And I have very strong opinions about Bluetooth headphones that do not involve much positivity. And he, yeah, we share that. Um, so he knew that. And, you know, yeah, he knew how I feel about Bluetooth stuff. And so anyways, he had Bluetooth headphones in and there was a little disconnection in the line, like a crackle. And I made a sly comment that maybe it was the Bluetooth headphones. And 
it didn't land terribly. Like he it definitely he got a little bit into defense. Like it just kind of like it, and it was the first time ever. Like we've been speaking for a couple of weeks. It was the first time we ever had like any like little like you know hiccup, road bump, or whatever. And I noticed that it didn't land well for him, and it didn't feel good for me either. Like it did not feel good in my body to say that. And I could tell that you know as a projection, like sure, you know the defensiveness is his responsibility, and it hit something in him that didn't feel good, which is his to own. But for me, saying the comment didn't feel good in my body. I was taking a little jab at him. It didn't feel good. Anyways, we went about it. It was fine. We kept talking went to bed. And then the next day I messaged him saying, Hey, I would love to just talk for a second. I just want to communicate something. And I just said, when I told you that thing about the Bluetooth headphones, it didn't feel good. It felt like I was taking a little job and I just want to apologize. And he was a bit like taken aback because he'd never, like he wasn't used to in relationship in general, being apologized to never mind for something so insignificant, I guess. But definitely set the tone for us both taking radical responsibility for when we show up in a way that your body knows when you say something and you're like that was not good like should not have said that or it just didn't feel good or they i didn't mean to say it in a way like this and they didn't land well so it's so it's actually so easy to start with little things and in time the more you practice it, sure, a big thing that you do that you need to really apologize for is even more important, but like taking every little opportunity will shape the landscape of the relationship and also make it comfortable for both partners or friends or whoever else you're doing this with to start doing it more. Mm. I've got a little story mm -hmm. to share. <laughs> we can cut this if you don't want it in too, but <laughs> it's, it's in the same vein. Um, so when me and Chloe were setting up to do mm -hmm. the filming for our interview. Chloe's like, where is this going? Um, yeah. <laughs> we Who were knows? like, it was like, it was a hectic day because we, like for us, we had the market shop and then had to go pick up flowers, like just pick up all the stuff that we had for the shoot. Um, and then we were like rushing to get to you because I think we were running late and got to, we finally figured out the place we wanted to shoot, like set it all up. And we were like rushing to set it up because we were mm -hmm. time constraints. And we had all eight kids there. My husband was filming and Brenton was <laughs> looking after all of the kids. Anyway, we had like food legend. set up. Yeah, such a legend. Um, we had all the food set up and I was like firing on all cylinders, just like get done, get it done, get it done. And I had kids coming at me, my kids, like, oh, I'm hungry because that's You're just, like, it's the just they don't have anything food. to say. Don't even look that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Piss off away from the food, yeah. right? Um, you get to <laughs> eat it after. You. you get to eat it after. And then I think you'd ask Brenton to bring the cows over. And he was like, he's like, yeah, I think we're going to need food. And I turned around and I was just like, they will eat when we're done. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, so it was such a bad tone because I was already just like, <laughs> like on this um, ride. And I, yeah. And you turned around to me you're like, Oi, back off my husband. <laughs> back down, bitch. I'm yeah. going to have to sort you out. <laughs> oh, she, Chloe pulled me up straight away and I was like, oh, shit. Like that was – it was actually a really good pull up because – I don't even remember that. Oh, I do because I felt awful. <laughs> but but it was really good because I – like it when I'm in that go, go, mm -hmm. go mode and it's very like I'm – borderline overwhelmed and just need everything to fall into place exactly how like in a, a time frame that I see um my husband often gets the yeah the mm -hmm. shit end of it and like my my tone will be so stern and strict and just like shutting everyone mm -hmm. down when it's not what I'm like I don't want to be doing that to them everyone's helping and everyone's doing mm -hmm. such a great job and god we had lots of favors that day mm. um those those boys of ours were pretty magical but yeah and um and I now pull myself up on it every time I'm like oh my god I'm sorry I didn't mm. mean to get like I did not mean to say that in that tone I'm just like not thinking like on totally one, yeah I wonder where, just to kind of take it back to like the relevance of being mm -hmm. parents, I wonder where that comes from in in childhood and in parenting in the younger years 
why we do not have the ability as adults to have that awareness or not the awareness but to to go back and repair almost instantaneously like hey I fucked Mm. up or like that just happened and it's because of me not you do you know what I mean like is it because we completely abandon our children's emotions when they're young and we're always wanting them to like cancel out the problem or have a have a problem yeah I mean I think there's a million probably reasons all like happening it's like the perfect Mm. storm of things but something I'm learning about at the moment is just the nature of punishment and reward and how we're so hyper-focused on behavior that we like even think of like the, the apology, right? Like the, the self-reflection of like, I did something that didn't feel good. Let me communicate that with someone. First of all, it requires being anchored in your body enough to be able to engage with what is a, a very daunting experience, right? And I guess only perhaps daunting because we're not used to it. But being able to hold and be in your body and be able to communicate something with someone that is a confronting dynamic requires embodiment and and confidence in yourself, which like we're not so good at developing considering we're pretty much all codependent with our parents, you know, mostly, unless there's really a, a kind of breaking the the family line of that expecting the the external environment to be safe so we can feel safe. So like taking back, like stepping back into our body and becoming safe in our body and our experience, which, you know, requires a few of the things we talked about, being able to self-regulate, being able to be in touch with our emotions and express our emotions in a way that isn't self-destructive, but also just the nature of punishment and reward, right? We're taught, like if a child does something bad, so common, apparently go say sorry. You, you have to go apologize and mm. s- telling a child to say that they're sorry doesn't make them sorry. It literally teaches them how to mm. act. And so as adults, we're great actors. Like we learn how to behave. And when you hear someone say like, oh, you have such a good child, w- what you're really hearing is your child is so obedient. And it's funny because I think his name's Alfie Cohn. I'm reading his book at the moment. The Unconditional Parent, where what we want in the long term for children, right, is them to be um, confident and discerning and expressive of their authenticity. We want them to to be able to navigate difficult situations. But what we teach them as children is just to behave. And so teaching them how to act and basically how to kind of morph to their environment so that they kind of fall in line. And so that I think the whole reward punishment thing where we reward the behavior as opposed to like, oh, child did something bad. There's a reason they're doing this. Let me understand the reason. Let me connect with the reason and not assume that like kids are innately bad, which is what like behavioralism is when we hyper-focus on the behavior. So like punishment and reward for good or bad behavior, we miss the whole point of like the psychology behind choices. And I think that as adults, when we didn't learn how to, like, for example, if your child does some kid does something wrong, right. And telling, and you, and they go apologize, you actually miss the whole like psychology and dynamic of maybe why aren't they sorry. Right. Or do they have, like, they, we just bypass basically becoming in touch with that self-awareness of, oh, I did something that didn't feel good like an opportunity for connection too, right? As a parent with your child of like, oh, there's no mm. remorse here. Let's lean in as opposed to just forcing an apology and creating a, a really good actor. And then yeah, in, into adulthood, back to the masks, you know, we're, we can be very good at being perceived a certain way or saying certain things or doing certain things that aren't actually authentic or dr- like they're not driven from, um, yeah, authenticity. Mm. And with that what does it lead to down the path? So, because, I mean, you can have people who are not coming from an authentic place, but then, you know, what issues do you see further down the road when that has been the way that you've navigated life? I mean, I think it depends, but definitely one that comes to mind is people who have everything they think they want and it brings them absolutely no joy. Um, I... 
I work with women and it's funny because there's literally, I actually, I think we spoke about this. There's like always like the perfect mirror of like the woman that has nothing that she thinks she wants, right? She, she doesn't love her job. She doesn't have the partner of her dreams or whatever else. And so there's this idea, like if I get those things, then finally I'll be happy. But then I also work with women who found the dream man, you know, work in a job that they love. They have everything that they think they want and there's no, there's no joy. Um, because the authenticity piece, like the connecting and really coming home to the self and really expanding your nervous system's capacity to like enjoy pleasure and sit with pain. They're kind of two, like our capacity to sit with all emotions are really all connected. You, yeah, you see, you see celebrities, they have it all right. They're at the top of their game. They have all the money and they're like wave of suicide or depression or pills or alcohol and all the coping mechanisms that come when, yeah, we're not fundamentally anchored in our bodies and safe in our bodies. We always talk about <clears throat> coming into our bodies and embodiment and exactly what you just said, but which sounds mm-hmm. great. But for the person mm-hmm. listening, how do you actually arrive? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what does it take to return into your body so you can actually start seeing and kind of living in that way in that authenticity I think that I've I've come to like refine and really actually understand this much more recently I'd even say in since being in Hawaii things have just kind of clicked in a way that hopefully I can express relatively clearly now um because yeah it's a it's a big word that people talk about a lot and you know, even having done somatic experiencing, which is really an embodiment practice, all these somatic being the body. Um, I think the best way, yeah, anyways, to to finish the sentence, I've leaned into so many practices for so long. And like you said, if I had to ever explain it, it would be like, well, it's, it's being in your body. And I think an easier way to actually understand it is as soon as you dissociate, which is the opposite of embodiment, which dissociation is just a coping mechanism. You don't feel safe in your body. And so you look outward to try and see what in your environment, which is a person, a thing, an experience, a condition, there's something in your external environment that doesn't feel safe. And so the opposite of embodiment is I'm going to go fix that thing so that I can feel safe. And as soon as we try and fix anything outside of us, can we just mm-hmm. quickly define mm-hmm. what not feeling safe looks like? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it, well, it's literally this, as soon as you try and fix anything or anyone else, basically your body, or you start thinking about what they're thinking, like, you know, tell me that doesn't resonate. Yeah, okay. What is she thinking? What is he thinking? Even in yeah. a disagreement with your partner, right? You think, well, he's thinking this, or he should do this, or she should do this, or anytime we're not solely focused on what, how can I grow in this situation? What do I need to do? Oh, you know, someone was mean to me and I got dysregulated and I got upset. I got overwhelmed instead of the, well, she, she shouldn't do this or he shouldn't do this or he needs therapy or, you know, he, it's like we, whenever we don't feel safe, we go to the external world to see what we can fix, you know, back to childhood when we didn't learn that it's actually safe to feel things and experience things and ride the wave of our emotion to actually feel safe enough to stay and be responsible for our experience. Like, what can I control here? What can I do? What am I not doing, you know, that has led me to be dysregulated or upset? What is in my control? Because an embodied person can make very good decisions, right? It's like, oh, this is the situation at hand. And you can even see it in terms of like, if you're in a disagreement with your partner, right? If you're embodied, you've got a couple of options. What do I need in this situation? And is it that bad that actually this relationship is not, you know, is not actually good for me anymore. It's we're not, we're no longer aligned. This relationship needs to end. Or what do I need to do in this situation to take care of myself so that I can see the situation more clearly and actually have a, uh, a rational, like not a, um, a hyper emotional and dysregulated, you know, like, well, if he, we, we immediately focus basically almost all the time on who needs to change or what needs to change in the environment so that we don't have to have the big emotion anymore. And so embodiment is staying in your experience. It's not 
needing anyone to do anything differently ever, ever, because your responsibility is either changing something or walking away. You can stay or you can leave. And then if you stay and it's not working, then you, with life as a mirror, that's why I, I love the idea of mirror work. Everything you're seeing in your environment is showing you, you. And so there's no longer anyone that can do anything or say anything that will fix fundamentally your internal state. And I like this example because, you know, the safety piece, we think in partnership, it's if you don't feel fundamentally safe in your body, there's an expectation that like you meet the person and finally you'll, you'll, you know, you'll feel loved and wanted and everything will be good, especially as a woman, right? There's this idea that like a man will make you feel more safe, more happy or whatever else, all the good emotions, all the things that really drive you towards wanting a partnership. You meet him and you're like, well, you know, I, oh, I thought everything would change or maybe it does for a little bit. Right. But then fundamentally it's like, well, no, actually I think, I think we need to make things official. Or maybe once I meet his parents, then I'll for sure know like we're good. You know, we're yeah. The relationship is, is good. It's, it's serious. Exactly. Mm. It's serious. Right. Yeah. And then you meet the parents mm. and then he says, do you want to be my girlfriend? If you know, that's still a thing. And, and then you're like, oh yeah, okay, it's good. That lasts for a little bit. But then you're like, wait, the the sense of not being safe, it's not actually serious enough. I think we should, It's once we move in together, I'm sure I'll feel safe and I won't be threatened by the other woman and I won't, you know, be worried about his ex. And then you move in together and then it's, well, it's still there. That like sense of like needing to control the external environment, right? Well, what he still follows his ex on Instagram, like, you know, that's, it's that that's making me feel not good. Right. Any any amount of dysregulation, we're always scanning. What is it that's making me feel this? But it's an internal sense, a, a lacked internal sense of safety. And so it never ends. Once he proposes, it'll once he proposes, it'll be great. And then you get married. And it's like that's that little voice inside of your head that's kind of like pushing you to feel unsafe, dysregulated, whatever you want to call it. Um, it never goes away until you heal your nervous system's capacity to actually be with discomfort without leaving your body. We can talk about actual practices, but yeah, interject. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a really funny um, example of this actually, because I like uh, with Toga, like, I mean, we're married, we have four kids, we have a house together, we have a business together. Like it, it, we've got all the things and I feel very confident and happy in our relationship. Like, very very rarely do I feel insecure and every now and then if I feel a little bit jealous I kind of like it because I'm like yeah because we still got that thing you know <laughs> like if he was no, talking that's your thing it's your thing well that's yeah correction that's yeah yours. I still got my thing <laughs> <laughs> no but like you know I, I don't know a little bit of flirting here and there it's kind of nice to like yeah. know that you've still I don't know because you can get into that Monday anyway totally sorry, no everyone that feels like um, a healthy degree of it but for so many women, it's like debilitating. Mm. Oh, no, it's mm -hmm. good. But, 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 I have a but here. So the other night I had a dream. Oh my gosh. Yes, <laughs> I've had this story. No, no, no. The but dreams. They, just they kill reason. you. They kill me. So I had this dream <laughs> and it was, I won't go into details, but the, the piece that kind of killed me was Togo was getting a lap dance from two cleaners. <laughs> And I Hot. woke up <laughs> and I woke up and I was just like, I'm not feeling good about you right now. <laughs> Nothing had happened. Actually, that night we had a very exceptional night. It was lovely. I won't go into details on that either. I'll save it for our Lucy chat. But it was like like a very connected, beautiful, mm. sensual mm -hmm. night. And went to sleep and had this bizarre dream. And I woke up and I'm like... I just gave you everything last night and this is how you treat me. <laughs> <laughs> You're hilarious. And then like, but, but this, this sense of um, instability that I had, it lasted the day from a dream, from a dream. Nothing had happened. Like we'd had a great night. He went to sleep. I went to sleep. Nothing happened in between. And then I woke up and I was feeling very mm -hmm. insecure. And, um, and that still crops up. Like, I mean, we, we were talking not that long ago about how those that cropped up a lot for both of us in our pregnancies, like early trimester mm. or first trimester. Mm. Like you'll just have these dreams where there's obviously like 
I mean, especially when you're pregnant, you're mm-hmm. vulnerable and you, you actually need that person in your life. Like it, it takes you to a place where like the reality is you need to co-regulate mm-hmm. for, the, for the pregnancy. You're vulnerable, you're open. Like if from a very biological mm-hmm. sense, you wouldn't be able to run as fast away from predators. Like you, it's one of those times. Mm. And um, yeah, and I know those dreams, like they often sneak in for me at the start of a pregnancy and I, I, <laughs> I will generally want to break up with my husband <laughs> in that first trimester. <laughs> He's like, oh, good, you're definitely pregnant. <laughs> the surefire way to know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so even like it's still a piece mm. that I feel like I have to work on even though – for forever I feel so secure in our relationship and I'm like I, I love our relationship um but then yeah that that little little twang mm. of insecurity it's still mm. there and it still crops up every now and yeah then, so. and, and how it shows up too like the whole not feeling safe in your body is not just relationship it's like however it shows up for you where you ruminate like where you are focusing on things that are not like on your page, you know, it's like, I love the Byron Katie of my business, your business and God's business. As soon as you step out of your business, you know, you've dissociated because your business is in your body. It's in your human experience. It's what you have control over. And so as soon as whatever it is for you, however it expresses for you, you start focusing and it happens all the time, right? You go to a job interview and haven't done this in a while actually, but you go to a job interview or even you finish a podcast whatever it is. And as soon if you end something and you go, I wonder what they, I wonder, you know, if they liked me instead of like, I wonder if I want mm. that job or you go on a first date and you're like, did I wonder if he liked me instead of, do I like him? As soon as we leave our body and visit with like someone else's thoughts, which are not possibly ever accurate because they're based on our own experience, our own projections. We have no idea what they're thinking. And even when people communicate, there's the barrier of like how well we can communicate. There's really so much space for like never actually knowing what other people are thinking fully. But so as soon as we prioritize someone else's thoughts, behaviors, actions, work, you know, you'll listen to a podcast. I used to do this a lot in my last relationship. I'd listen to a podcast and be like, oh, he needs to listen to this. You know, like he just needs to hear this. (laughs) And that literally is me not being safe enough in my experience that I'm trying to change someone else so that if he changes, I'll feel okay. And now it's like, have you ever had the experience mm-hmm. where you've, you've thought that, so you just pass it through and then the take homes they get oh, from yeah. that podcast is completely so different to the ones that, that you like got the per- and the ones you isn't want Isn't that the perfect <laughs> like example of like, it never mm-hmm. works. It does not trying to change the environment so that you don't have to look at yourself never works. And that whole safety piece or the embodiment piece really is about you staying in your experience and tending to what needs to be tend, like t- touching, tending to the parts of the garden that you can touch, which is your garden. You know, it's not, it's like you looking at your neighbor's garden, it's, you know, full of weeds and you're like, oh, you should weed that. But like you miss everything that's within reach of your own experience. And if we keep trying to micromanage the world around us, what we do is we just play out the same patterns with different people, whether it's the job, the partner, whatever else. And it's just different faces. Cause often we're like, well, it's that, that person just can't grow, you know? So fine. Eventually you end it and you move on to the next and it's a different face, same issues because it's always you. Like it's, it's always you. And that's our power of, of learning to, actually come home to our bodies, reprogram the neural pathways around actually feeling safe and expanding our capacity to hold discomfort, but also pleasure. Like the whole embodiment piece is, this is another funny one. You know, you you hear so often, well, if I just had a week off, like if I could just go to Hawaii for a week and relax, right? Like everything would be okay. I just need to relax and decompress. But tell me how long you'd be on the beach before your mind is like, well, what am I going to do later? And I can't believe she fucking said that to me. And well, if he just did this, it's like, we actually can't even relax either. Like we can't be in pleasure either. It's not just mm. the the negative triggers that, that set us off. It's also pleasure. So true. Mm. It's crazy to think that like 
we're all facing this now, but had we have just been able to cry when we were babies, we might be okay. <laughs> but not cry, but not cry it out. Not the cry, because yeah. that messed me up. <laughs> cry, but not cry it out. Oh, I can tell you I did lots of crying as a baby. It's no one was it. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're so perfect now. It, it, Come it, to think of it. kind of is, mm. but I'm probably just like 20 million masks deep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I start taking them off. Do I know you, Kajia? I know. Well, look. And a massive well, hole in your sock. I'm wondering how that's even <laughs> helping <laughs> keep your foot warm. <laughs> Just the middle part of my foot. Oh. <laughs> um, all my other socks are in the wash, everyone, sorry. Um, yeah, no, when when we do talk about um, our parents and their, you know, how they raised us when it comes to now all these terms like of conscious parenting, aware parenting that we're looking into, I do – I do want to cut a little slack mm-hmm. to those people out there mm. because I am definitely not perfect and mm. I totally, God, no. I know, and I, I know you just said I was. <laughs> <laughs> to me you are. Um, valid, <laughs> Validating you. Validating me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, especially like I just went travelling with my family um overseas some people might know that and we were away for seven weeks traveling constantly and there were things while we were traveling that I was like you know what my parents probably got that part right because like my kids are very free range free range children um and we live in a place where we can be barefoot all the time and they can collect treasures from all around them which are often feathers um little stones and crystals certain sticks what did your kids pick off the streets in my house the dirty <laughs> italian streets italy so, what like, are they putting steal? cigarettes we in, in their hair statues. <laughs> <laughs> seriously like shards of glass mom look i found this pretty crystal and i'm like please don't touch anything on the ground here bottle caps um <laughs> cigarette butts was a big one and it, it's like like I would have never at those ages been picking up those things mm. off the ground. But, you know, obviously it's the way we've raised them. But then there was also, you know, situations of they were climbing on uh, dinner tables and knocking mm. glasses of wine off mm. and little it's and bits like that where I'm like, oh, well, you, you know what? You've actually brought up a good point and I've actually been sitting on this. Brenton and I have been discussing it a little bit lately is just – we're in the era of doing better and conscious parenting and being aware and all of that and really wanting our children to express, express it all, express it. You do you, we will just allow it. But in the meantime, there's a lot of, there's a lot of situations where I observe and I'm like, are you for real? You are actually allowing, you're not setting your child up for success Mm -hmm. by allowing them to be incredibly disrespectful, be it, to other people's property or, you know, like I feel like there's those fundamental things like I was raised to really respect other people's belongings Mm -hmm. and, you know, like you don't climb on people's cars, you don't, um, you know, like go to people's houses and start punching walls or throwing toys around. You don't be physically like aggressive towards other people but now I see that happening Mm -hmm. all the time and I'm like, oh, that's what they're calling conscious and aware parenting. They're allowing things to happen because no one wants to be firm and putting in those really like safe mm-hmm. boundaries that actually create well-adjusted kids. So I feel like that's some- – The bridge between these like two styles of parenting is is like – it's not no parenting, right? There's not like a complete like absence of like do whatever you want whenever you want. It's – like you said, Chloe, boundary setting, but without ever withdrawing your love. So when mistakes are made and Mm. when things are done and when like teaching needs to come into play, love is never with, like you never withhold love as a a consequence of bad behavior. And I think that's kind of the, the thing that is, is missing in like the conscious parenting is it's not no parenting. It's just that you're never, exchanging your love for good behavior that's always present Mm. yeah that's a really really good point yeah 100 percent. and it's i think that's where the confusion is coming from because 
I think parents really, you know, and they call it cute, like, oh, they're just wild. And I know you just use that word, but <laughs> free range, free range. <laughs> and I, that's, a, I think that's a bit different, but like, I just see a lot of parents turning a blind eye to terrible behavior mm. that makes you not want to be kind of present. Oh yeah. Mind. I've got friends whose kids I don't like being around. Yeah. So I think we're in an area where people feel like that pressure to not, and it's not to make sure your kid's well behaved, but to make sure you're well behaved. Yeah. As a parent, you're not your, raising your voice, you're not yeah, being yeah. firm, you're not being strict or any of those things. But like there are situations, right? Necessary. Where my kid is throwing a tantrum in the middle of the road. Mm. And my, my gentle, conscious parenting is not going to look gentle and conscious because I need you, to honey. keep my child safe. Like, you do you. I will Let be, it all out. Yeah. I'll be picking up that child, yeah. kicking and mm-hmm. screaming, mm-hmm. and it might be rough so that I don't drop them. You've got to keep them mm-hmm. safe. Exactly. You've got to keep them safe. And then we can have this tantrum in a safer mm-hmm. place, yeah. which then also doesn't look very conscious or gentle because, mm. you know, if it's one of my boys, they're throwing limbs left, right and centre and I need to try and make sure it doesn't hit anyone else or like my one-year-old who will just toddle over and be like, oh, what's going on? Like don't want to put in her face and then also that I don't get injured. So, yeah, I guess setting those boundaries and I guess knowing like when it's a safety thing or it's a property thing, and, yeah. Or injury, like, yeah. But there's a lot of, of old school fundamentals that didn't harm us. They actually made us, you know, people that are able to function in society, yeah. apart from all of our emotional neglect unintentionally and not allowing us to be in our bodies and taking us, t- taking us from that. There is also a lot that we are not doing and I see it all the time in the name of conscious and aware parenting and I just I'm glad we touched Mm -hmm. on that because it's been on my radar can I can I add to that emotional Mm. neglect piece Mm. because I feel like our parents and like their parents before them and their parents before them they've come from really tough times Mm, so like like where financially you're not as stable and like there's a lot of pieces there that you know you would that would make you feel safe and comfortable and able to like you kind of need that to feel able to hold the the big emotions from your kids to be able to have the space and time to listen to that but like for I mean we talked about this in our last conversation our mums and dads were working and they Mm. were away and like and they had to do that in order to be able to pay down houses or keep life Mm. moving for us and then their parents were you know, maybe someone was home, but like domestic violence was a much bigger deal. Well, they went to war. Well, there's there's definitely no shade. There's no shade towards no. anyone's parenting tactics. Part of the radical responsibility part mm. is it's not like because then you're the victim, right? You're not the victim of anyone's parenting. I actually believe we choose our parents, and so coming into this world with no, kind of knowing this is the the groundwork this is the foundation i'm getting to explore life and you know the place that i'm at now that launching pad for better or worse everything that i came with has helped me come home to my body and take responsibility for the things that i need to teach myself and grow from like there the human experience is not meant to be um perfect like it's it actually Mm. would be so boring. Like it'd be fun for a day or two, maybe a month, but like we don't actually want ease all the time. Like we really seek challenge and overcoming and growth. So for me, understanding my childhood more than ever, I don't hyper-focus on details anymore. Even with the clients that I work with, it's like you kind of get a little, you want like, sometimes I even cut them off. I'm like, okay, cool. I got it. Your needs, you were not attuned to as a child. We got that piece. Let's now let's attune to ourselves because you know, first of all, the the whole victim, villain and savior dynamic, like that little triangle, you can get so stuck there. Like my parents did this or they did that. And, but even then, okay, maybe you have compassion because they're the victims of their, their parents, or, you know, they're all, all our generations are victim of society or Hollywood or, or the government. And that keeps us all in victim mode, which is, you know, I love the idea that the only real illness is victim consciousness because you can't overcome 
when you're a victim and when you play into that role that it's something happened to me it's like no it's actually just the opposite right like we know this information what can we do with it and that you know comes back to the embodiment piece of like it's not no one else's responsibility nothing can be done differently in your external environment but once you come home to your body and you feel safe in your body you have your power back because it's it's actually becomes fun it's like you learn tools and practices and and things that you could actually do to notice a shift in your trajectory and then yes you can bestow that to your children but also liberate them from needing to be just like you right like that becomes the the next version of like a totalitarian government where if even you know in our holistic model if we need our children your children that are actually born mine that aren't yet you know not even conceived yet um if we need them to show up as versions of us it's kind of back to the same thing where we're only safe if our children are perfect images of us and our conscious parenting like can your child like you see it right it's like there's some kids will there'll be a birthday party and your kid doesn't touch the gluten filled cake and they like look back at you and they're like look mom i did i did the good thing it's like can we liberate everyone from needing to show up in a certain way to make us feel good and safe and worthy and okay that is really the work our parents mm. are liberated our children are liberated our friends are liberated because we are all taking responsibility for ourselves feeling actually good in our bodies and i'll just add that far out that is happening with those bigger societal problems at the moment with parents putting their thoughts and ideologies onto their children with who they think they should be and how they should be showing up into the world aka gender dysmorphia mm. and dysphoria i should say and just like you know all of those things like we really are trying to mold and i guess create these people that we we want to be proud of or or when they behave a certain way, we'll be proud of them. Yeah, when they, when they like, if, you know, it's, it's such important work to do, especially if we're going to reproduce, is can I be okay in my experience and not need the child to be a reflection of me? Like, can I guide, but not dictate? Like, like the thing that we're trying to run from, right? The tyrannical government, like we become that, we become that. And it's, with gluten-free and dairy-free and organic food instead of like, you know, whatever else mandates are coming from the top, but that need for someone else to show up in a way for us to feel okay in our human experience, like that kind of control, it's, it's like, it, it's deep, it's a deep work. It's difficult. We just, once you start to become mm -hmm. self-aware of it, it's like, oh, the amount of times we spend the amount, uh, the amount of time, even when you're in conversation, right, with someone, we're like, what does, what is, what is it that they're saying? And what does it mean for me? Instead of like, can I just visit with this person's experience? And can I experience like their reality and not need to immediately try and like micromanage it, morph it, plant seeds, redirect them so that we can be always on the same page so that we can always agree, like the capacity to have your truth and for someone else to have their truth, like that is liberation. Like that is embodiment in action because it's like, I have these beliefs and especially with a partner, especially with a child, like can these people in my life that are, you know, part of my tribe, part of my family, can they have a reality that is different to mine? And I don't have to make it threaten my reality or my existence. And then, yeah, that's when the manipulation comes in and all the kind of very subtle ways sometimes in which we're trying to redirect people because how they show up or how their reality is expressing itself feels threatening to ours. That is different. Mm. Oh, Cam, you've given us a lot to think about. <laughs> are you, are you, <clears throat> did I hear correctly on by here? I mean, read on Instagram that you're creating new like eBooks. Another I'm one? actually shifting in. Well, I'm going to do one. Uh, I'm shifting into courses. I've realized there's just more. I want to do video yeah. and audio and more than just reading. And yeah, a few things. Taking off the masks is one big one. And I'm really excited about it because I'm actually creating the course because I want to participate in it. Like it's going to be all about dismantling things and aspects of ourselves that like ways in which we show up performatively. And 
it'll be a safe place to do some daunting things. And so that's one thing I'm working on. And the other is um, preparing for parenthood, which is born at the moment out of a reparenting experience that I'm having with myself and learning some wild things just about how I show up in the world and what like really tangible tools can help, I guess, repair or redirect some of the, the things that, um, yeah, I learned growing up. And of course, eventually for real parenthood. Um, yeah, those are two mm. big things I'm working on. I'm excited for your babies. Yeah. <laughs> I wish Gosh. I was doing this kind of work before I had babies, but mm. then, you know, my oldest is just coming along the ride with me. <laughs> and, you know, all your kids yeah. chose mm. exactly, you know, how they're being raised, which I love too. You know, I'm, yeah, I mean, we could talk for hours more, but even that, the more I'm doing exploring parenting, I'm also like, I've had a conversation with my partner where like, I don't want the work I'm doing to be a dictatorship of how he needs to parent, right? Like even realizing like a child chooses mm -hmm. both parents mm -hmm. specifically for how mm -hmm. you both are going to show up and they need that specific kind of resistance and guidance for their sovereign life journey. So yeah, totally. it's, it's. That's something I really want to get into soon too, is how important it is for the father to raise the children differently. Like, yin and yang to how totally. you are doing it for so long I thought that you should be you know doing gentle like all of the things on and, the same page mm -hmm. oh, like, and, you know yeah. approach them differently and then yeah I started really observing the way people were parenting and the role that the father had and the mum so many mums are like so quick to shut down the dad's yeah. approach but it's so important to be that way in so many instances, which is which is why I think, yeah, there's a bit of a struggle. Well, it just preps you for life because if you've only experienced one form of person your entire upbringing and then you go into the world and you've got so many different people to navigate, like it is like it's going to be. Well, also like the assumption system. that you're yeah. right, that like you know what you're doing and that you're doing it good. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Mm. so much oh, done well cam thank you so much <laughs> yeah so honored <laughs> thank you so much you um you have such a beautiful way with words and you always leave us with so much to think about and just a new perspective on on all the ways which we can grow in um in our relationships and in family life so thank now you. now that you're getting a little bit closer to us like a little bit each time you just maybe <laughs> the next time we talk we'll be in person That'd but actually so nice. Invite us over for a you yarn guys and a are, cup of tea. You are we'll... so invited. We have a spare room. Perfect. You know, there's We've got like... a lot of people. So 12 of us there's in a 12 spare room. <laughs> True. We have a big deck. We could, yeah. so we could probably renovate. get all the kids on the deck. Perfect. Sleeping bags will do it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well. Depending on yeah. time, you can get 400 no. bucks round trip. Oh, we've already oh, looked. Perfect. You are so invited. <laughs> We're it on is, our way. It is Jetstar though, so we may not make it. <laughs> oh, thank you again, Cam. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.